You know, singing that last song, couldn't help but think, you know, what, what's it going to be like one day when we see God? Right? Have, you ever, have you ever thought about that? To, to stand in God's presence and to have our eyes open to his glory for the very first time? This week, as I was studying our passage this morning for uh, our series in the Beatitudes, uh, as we talk about the pure in heart shall see God, I, I, I came across a video of a little girl, 14-month-old girl, who up to this point in her life had never seen. She was born with a, with a condition where her, her eyesight didn't work as it, as, as it was intended, and, uh, and God in his grace provided uh, some special glasses for her. And I saw this video and I thought, I wonder if this is what it's going to be like when our eyes are open to see God. Take a look at this video. It's so awesome. Lani, Lani, put them on. Look, look at mommy. Look at mommy. Look at mommy. Can you see? Wow. Lani, look at me. <laughs> She looks like bubbles off of the trailer park boy. Isn't that awesome? Man, I love that. I love those videos. And, you know, you think about that. I mean, you see this wonder in this child's eyes. Just her, I mean, for the first time in her life, seeing these voices, these family that she knows and loves, and her eyes are just opened and in awe. And friends, I can't help but think that that's going to be somewhat of our experience as followers of Jesus when we stand in his glory. You know, we think of our loved ones who have gone before us, who have died in the Lord. And, you know, that moment when they take their final breath in this life and they open their eyes in the glorious presence of our creator God. And what an awesome thing that that's going to be. Well, today as we come to our sixth beatitude in our series in the Sermon on the Mount, these these blessed attitudes, these attitudes that believers should be, we come to a great one. We come to this teaching of Jesus that, that describes for us the hope that we have in seeing God one day. And Jesus here doesn't just describe this hope, but he gives us the key for spiritual vision. The key to seeing God. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. I want to read all of our Beatitudes up to this point so far, and then we're going to dwell on what Jesus means here in Matthew 5, verse 8. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he had sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. What an awesome promise. 
Here in these words, Jesus gives us the key to spiritual vision, the key to this great hope of seeing God. And that key, Jesus tells us, is purity of heart, purity of heart. Throughout the Bible, the heart is considered to be the center of a person's very being. When, when, when the Bible speaks of our personhood, when it speaks of us physically and spiritually, mentally, morally, the heart is the center of all of that, according to Scripture. The, the Greek word for heart is cardia. Have you ever been to a hospital and been in the cardiac unit, right? That comes from the Greek word cardia, which means heart. And, and again, the heart in Scripture refers to the inner person. The inner man or woman. And the heart is the fountain from which everything in one's life flows. It's the inner self that asks, acts upon every aspect of a person's life. This is why, for example, Proverbs 27, 19 says, As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. In other words, when we look at the actions and words and deeds of a man or woman, what we are seeing in that is a reflection of what's going on in their heart. The heart is the center of our being. Everything we do, everything we live out, everything we act out, everything we say is simply a reflection of who we are in our innermost being, in our hearts. And this is why, for example, Solomon cautions us in Proverbs 4.23. He says, guard your hearts. He says, keep your heart with all vigilance. Literally, guard your heart, the center of your being, who you are in your personhood. Guard that. Keep it with vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Again, in other words, everything about you will flow out of the reality of who you are in your heart. And when we read the Bible all throughout Scripture, we discover that purity of heart is a central concern to God. It's the primary thing that God desires most for each of us, purity of heart. Now, what exactly does that mean, purity, purity of heart? The word for pure here in the Greek is katharos, and, and, and it means clean. But, but more than that, it means unmixed or unadulterated, sifted and pure. In other words, it's like, it's like gold. Have you ever watched like Gold Rush on TV, those gold miner shows, right? And they, and they mine the gold and then they run it through the sluice boxes and then they, they gather it all up. But, but the gold is full of all kinds of impurities. And they need to burn those impurities off to get to the pure, unadulterated 24-karat gold. That's what katharos is. It's a, it's a purity of heart, a heart that has been sifted of all of its impurities, an unadulterated heart, a heart that is unmixed with any of the things of this world that compete against God sitting on the throne. God is looking for hearts that are wholly committed to him. That's what purity of heart means. This was really at the center of many of Jesus' confrontations with the, the ruling religious leaders of his day, the, the group known as the Pharisees. We're going to see this throughout the coming year as we study the Sermon on the Mount. One of Jesus' main points of contention with the ruling religious leaders of his day was that they were all concerned with outward appearances. 
They were concerned with, with their deeds and their actions and their rituals. It was all about religious formalism, what took place on the outside. But as the prophet Samuel said back in the Old Testament, the Lord doesn't see as man sees. He's not worried about the outside. Man looks on the outward appearance. But God, the Lord, he looks on the heart. See, purity of heart is what God is after. The, the reason is, is we can do all kinds of good stuff on the outside and yet have absolutely corrupt hearts within. And this is what God is getting after. He wants our hearts. And here in the sixth beatitude, Jesus' words, in the original Greek, they are emphatic. And what I mean by that is Jesus, in the original Greek, literally says here, only those with pure hearts will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they, and only they, shall see God, is the way this reads in the original Greek. Jesus here is echoing the Holy Spirit-inspired words of King David, who says in Psalm 24, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Friends, it's the only way to enter into the presence of God. It's the only way to have this spiritual sight, this vision of God. The only way is to come with clean hearts, pure hearts, unadulterated hearts. Yes, friends, purity of heart is a central concern to God. It's a key aspect to life in God's kingdom. And Jesus says it's the way to spiritual vision and our hope of seeing our creator one day. But here's the question. Is this kind of purity even possible? Is purity of heart even a, an attainable reality for any of us? I mean, you know, you hear this and you think about this idea, man, I would love to have a pure heart. This sounds so amazing. But I think most of us would have to admit this seems completely unrealistic. We're more likely to resonate with the words of Solomon, who said in Proverbs 20, verse 9, who can say, I have made my heart pure. I am clean from my sin. I think many of us relate to that. Am I right? Because we don't have pure hearts. This isn't our natural condition. And if purity of heart is God's standard for spiritual vision, what hope do any of us have? Well, church, I have good news for you this morning. See, Jesus didn't give us the sixth beatitude to drive us to despair. He gave it to drive us to him. That's what this sixth beatitude is all about. And in the message of the gospel, the good news, we find the key to the purity of heart that God desires for each and every one of us. This morning, I want to talk about the pathway to seeing God and what our hearts need in order to see God. To see God, we need three things. Number one, our hearts need a fundamental cleansing. We need a fundamental cleansing. I, I want to do a little audience participation exercise here this morning. 
Now, this is something that we've done here over the years. We do this about once a year, and it's an, it's an, it's an incredibly essential exercise for all of us to participate in. Now, I want to warn you, if you're new here to Lakes Free and you've never done this exercise with us, it might be a little bit uncomfortable, okay? But it's absolutely necessary for each of us to understand this this morning, okay? So here's the exercise. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to lean across to the person sitting next to you, and I want you to smell the person sitting next to you. Okay? Go ahead. Do that right now. Lean over. Smell the person sitting next to you. Come on. Smell the person sitting next to you. This is everybody, Barry. Come on now. Take a big whiff. All right? Smell the person sitting next to you. All right. Now, question. What do you smell? What do you smell? I'll tell you what you smell. You either smell that person stink or you smell something covering up their stink, right? <laughs> Am I right? I'm absolutely right. The reality is we as human beings stink. I mean, I'm sorry to say, but that's just the reality. That's our nature. We stink or else we cover up our stink. But the reality is fundamentally we have a problem. We stink. And it's not just that we stink physically, but we also stink spiritually. And this is our even greater problem than our physical stink. It's our spiritual stink, our sin, our rotting, festering, stinky hearts that keep us separated from our holy creator, God. God is holy. He knows no sin. And he cannot tolerate sin. And we have this fundamental problem, the, these stinky hearts. The prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17, 9, tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We, we read, for example, Paul in Romans 3, 10. Paul says, there is no one righteous. No, not one. He goes on in 3:23 to say that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Friends, this is our human nature. Humans, by nature, stink. We have polluted hearts, corrupted hearts, hearts that are tainted with sin. And because of our sinful hearts, these hearts leave us separated from our holy creator, God. Every single one of us here, no one escapes no one is immune to this reality. It's like the Russian poet, the 19th century Russian poet, Ivan Turgenev once said, I do not know what the heart of a bad man is like, but I do know what the heart of a good man is like. And it is terrible. You know, friends, I think if we're being honest, even the best among us, if we're being honest, when we examine the nature of our hearts. We have to admit that there's a problem. When we're honest about our thought life, when we're honest about our desires, when we think about the priorities that really have taken up residence in our hearts, every single one of us here is sin sick. Our impure hearts Keep us separated from our holy God. And this is a problem that we can't fix ourselves. 
A lot of people go through life thinking, you know, maybe if I just do enough good deeds or give enough money to the church or serve the poor, you know, I just say all the right things and do all the right things. Maybe then I can find favor with God. But friends, the problem is God is holy. He is perfect. He knows no sin. How could we ever do enough to deserve the right to enter into his presence? We can't. And this is why only God can cure our sin-sick hearts. And this is why the message of the gospel, that word gospel, which means good news, this is why the message of the gospel truly is such good news. Because God has provided a way to cure our sin-sick hearts. We read, for example, in the Old Testament, the prophet Ezekiel, God through Ezekiel told us that a day was coming when he would transform our hearts. God told his people, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, God knew we couldn't cleanse our hearts on our own. God knew we needed a fundamental cleansing, and it was a cleansing that only he could provide. And this is why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world, the Messiah, to give us these clean hearts, to transform our hearts, to to put the very spirit of God within us and take up residence in our hearts, to give us newness of life and a new motivation. The prophet Isaiah, 700 years before the coming of Jesus, he foretold what Jesus, the Messiah, would do for us. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What does that mean? It means that Jesus took our sins upon himself. As the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, Jesus went to the cross to take our sins. He was the perfect, sinless one, the spotless lamb of God. As a man, as fully man and as fully God, he was the perfect substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. And he took all of our iniquities upon him to the cross. And he paid the penalty that each and every one of us deserved to pay so that we could be reconciled to our creator. Paul says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the fundamental cleansing we need. How can we receive this gift? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friend, do you have a stinky heart this morning? Would you like that heart to be cleansed and purified, made new? There's only one remedy, and it's to call on the name of the Lord. It's to call on Jesus the only one who can give you that new heart. We need to put our trust in him. 
Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that this is a free gift from God. It's not a matter of works. It's not about anything that we do to earn this. We can't earn this. It's wholly a gift of God's amazing grace. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And so, friends, we need to put our hope and trust in Jesus alone for this fundamental cleansing that our hearts so desperately need. And look at what results when we put our trust in Jesus. Paul says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The word justified is a legal term. It means to be made right, to be made whole again, to have peace, peace with God. Paul goes on, he, he says in Ephesians 1.7, he says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Hebrews 10.17 tells us, then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Isn't that incredible, friends? God not only forgives you of your sins because of what Jesus did for us, he says, I will remember them no more. In fact, in the Old Testament, the prophet Micah, the prophet Micah puts it like this, he will have compassion on us, he will tread our iniquities, our sins underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Isn't that an awesome image? God says when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, he not only forgives us of our sins, but he casts them into the depths of the sea. And as one pastor I once heard said, he not only casts our sins into the depths of the sea, but then he posts a sign that says no fishing. <laughs> because they are forever gone and forever forgotten because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's the good news of the gospel, friends. This is the fundamental cleansing that each and every one of us needs. In order to see God, we first need God to purify our hearts. Only he can bring about this transformation within us. And so again, I need to ask you this morning, have you experienced this fundamental cleansing in your life? It's the cleansing that each and every one of us here needs. And if you haven't yet experienced that fundamental cleansing, you can. You can by putting your trust in Jesus, the one who bore all your iniquities on the cross, the God who washes those sins white as snow, who takes them and casts them in the depths of the sea and says, no fishing, because these are forever forgotten. Friends, I want to encourage you, if you've never received this fundamental cleansing, put your trust in Jesus, because he can do this for you. The second thing that our hearts need if we're ever going to see God, we, it, it's not just this fundamental cleansing, but we also need a frequent cleansing. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, the fundamental cleansing that God provides happens once when we put our trust in Jesus. In, in that moment, we are justified and reconciled to God once and for all time. We become Jesus people. We become children of God. We don't need to repeat that fundamental cleansing. But we still have a problem, don't we? Because we still struggle with sin. We still live in a sin-saturated world. And we work and play in the midst of a culture oozing with worldly values and fleshly priorities. And we regularly find our hearts wandering into temptation. And we often stumble and fall. 
or outright leap into sin. As that great hymn declares so truly, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Is that true for you, friends? I know I feel that reality. So what happens in these situations? What happens when we sin? Well, this is where Scripture tells us that God, in his amazing grace, provides an ongoing and frequent cleansing for our sins. This is a cleansing of our hearts that never ends as long as we live. The theological term for this is sanctification. It's the process where as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, as we seek to honor him in obedience, God continually cleanses our hearts of everything that hinders our complete devotion to him. That's sanctification. It's an ongoing process. It's the frequent cleansing of our hearts that we need as long as we remain in this fallen, sinful world. Jesus spoke of this process and this ongoing cleansing a number of times in his ministry. If you remember, for example, in John 13 at the Last Supper when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, remember what took place. John describes Jesus knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel. He tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. What's going on here? Jesus washing his disciples' feet. He comes to Peter. Peter says, Lord, no, you're never going to wash my feet. Jesus says, Peter, if you don't let me wash my feet, you don't understand what my ministry is all about. And Peter says, well then, Lord, don't just wash my feet, but wash all of me. Wash my whole body, head to toe. But Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you don't need a full washing. Peter, you're already clean. You only needed a wash, a simple wash of your feet. See, what Jesus was talking about here, what he was speaking of here, was this ongoing frequent cleansing that all of us need, that, that process of ongoing sanctifying in our lives. Peter was already clean by virtue of his faith. Like Abraham, God credited his faith as righteousness. Jesus hadn't died on the cross for his sins yet, but God was crediting his faith in Jesus ahead of time. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you're already clean. You don't need that full cleansing. But Peter, you still need to wash. Jesus was talking about sanctification, the reality of the, the daily life in a fallen sinful world and our ongoing struggle with sin and that we still need God's cleansing at times in our lives. Jesus went on. He talked about this more in John 15, verses 1 through 3. 
Jesus said there, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now that word prunes there, that word prunes in the Greek is katharos. It's that word for purity, for clean, okay? Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes or cleans that it may bear more fruit. And look what Jesus says at the end. Already you are clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Again, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says to his disciples, look, you're already clean. Your faith has been credited as righteousness. You're already clean. But guess what? For those who are clean, I'm going to continue to prune. I'm going to continue to clean. Catharos. I'm going to continue to purify you. Why? So that you can produce even more fruit. Because God wants even more growth in our lives. This is the ongoing sanctification that God desires for us. See, friends, as long as we live in this fallen and sinful world, we're going to need this ongoing and frequent cleansing. As Jesus people, we are fundamentally clean. But we need to repeatedly go to the Lord and have him wash us of the world's dirt and grime that we so easily collect. We need to daily follow the example of King David who prayed in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Friends, that's the prayer of a Jesus people person who desires ongoing sanctification. Lord, search me. Lord, try me. Know my heart. See if there's any impure way within me, Lord, because I want a heart that is unadulterated and undivided and wholly committed to you. And friends, when we pray these kinds of prayers, when the Holy Spirit reveals our sin to us, we need to go to God again for that ongoing frequent cleansing. We go to God as the Apostle John describes in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Friends, that's the daily frequent cleansing that each of us needs. And I want to tell you this morning, there's nothing better than living our lives fresh and clean in the Lord. Have you ever been outside working on a hot, you know, muggy day and you just, you're all grimy and dirty? A couple weeks ago, playing tennis, right? We're at a tennis match and it was like 85 degrees. Just a couple weeks ago, you remember that? 85 degrees? That wasn't too long ago. And we are just caked in sweat. I mean, I was dripping in sweat. I went home, I took a shower, and I can tell it, it never felt so good to walk out of that shower fresh and clean. Friends, this is what God desires for our hearts on a daily basis. He wants us walking in cleanliness and in purity. And this is why we must daily go to the Lord and ask him to search our hearts. And Jesus, if you find anything in there that doesn't belong, reveal it to me, Lord. And then I come back to you and I confess my sin. I repent and I trust you to cleanse me once again so that I can walk in purity of life with you. We need this fundamental cleansing. We need this frequent cleansing. But then thirdly, to see God, our hearts need a final cleansing. And friends, here we reach the pinnacle, the culmination of God's cleansing work in our lives. 
See, Scripture tells us that one day all Jesus' people will be holy and fully cleansed. This is what theologians describe as the process of glorification. We will be like Jesus, unstained with sin, free of all temptation, free of all of the grime and muck and crud that we accumulate in this world. Glorification is the process where God will once and for all rid us of all sin so that we might be holy and forever live in his holy presence. We are justified once when we put our trust in Jesus for salvation. We are made right with God and fundamentally clean. We are then sanctified throughout our lives as we walk in obedience to the Lord, as we confess our sins, as we lay ourselves at the feet of Jesus and ask him to continue that work of purifying our hearts. That's a daily frequent cleansing. But then we are glorified. One day we will be forever free from the tentacles of sin that cling to us. The Apostle Paul describes it like this in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, husbands, speaking of marriage as a, as a metaphor for what God will do in the hearts of Jesus' people. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. That's glorification, friends. To stand in the presence of God, spotless, holy, without any blemish. To the church in Colossae, Paul describes it like this, Colossians 1.21, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Isn't that awesome, friends? One day we will stand in the presence of God, holy, blameless, and above reproach because of what Jesus did for us. We will be glorified. As that benediction we so often use here at Lakes Free from Jude 24 and 25 says, Jude, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Friends, have you ever thought about those words? We, we share this benediction all the time. But what is it really saying? Jesus is going to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. To be blameless is to be completely free of all sin once and for all time. That is our glorification. What an incredible experience this will be. Friends, our wildest imaginations can't even come close to fathoming the wonder of being fully liberated from our sins and standing in the presence of God. This is God's promise to all who are pure in heart, to Jesus' people who've experienced the grace of God in his fundamental cleansing, in his frequent cleansing, in his final cleansing. But friends, I have one last question to ask you this morning. Are you living your life in light of this awesome reality? Jesus says that the pure in heart shall see God. 
Brothers and sisters in Christ here today, are you living your life in light of this glorious promise? I I want you to imagine for a moment, tomorrow afternoon you come home from work and you open your mailbox, and in your mailbox you find this, this bulky envelope, this gold embossed envelope with the seal of the King of England on it. And you open this envelope, and inside this envelope, you have a formal invitation to a royal dinner at Buckingham Palace next week. Wow. Friends, imagine your response. You you would probably spend the entire next week preparing, getting ready to go to Buckingham Palace and meet the king. Wouldn't you be excited? I'm sure you would, right? You'd go get your hair done. You'd go pick out a brand new outfit. You'd probably go down to the library and find every book you could find on royal etiquette and how to behave in the presence of the king, right? We'd want to be as prepared and presentable as possible. And church, if that's how we would live in light of an invitation to Buckingham Palace, how much more should we be preparing ourselves and our hearts for that glorious day when we'll see God. The Apostle John says in 1 John 3, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Friends, do you share this hope? Are you living in light of this glorious promise? Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much this morning for this key to spiritual vision that you've given us, the key to purity of heart and standing in your presence and seeing you in your glorious splendor. It's for Jesus' people. It's for those who have experienced the fundamental cleansing that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It's for Jesus' people who daily go to you and say, Lord, search my heart and try my thoughts and see if there's any impure way in me. And Lord, if so, I confess my sins. I want to walk clean and righteously with you, Lord. And it's for Jesus' people who will one day be finally and fully glorified standing in your awesome presence. Lord, I pray that each and every person here this morning knows that great hope and that we might live in light of that great hope and look forward to that glorious day when we will see you face to face. Amen. Friends, would you please stand for our closing song this morning?
great words from the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever and all Jesus people said. Amen. God bless you friends. Hey friends, thanks for joining us online today. 
If you have further questions, are in need of prayer, or would like to give financially to the ministries of Lakes Free Church, I encourage you to visit our website, lakesfree.org. There you'll also find information regarding our upcoming events. You can access all of our past sermon series, along with a host of other valuable resources. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our Sunday services or other events. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you.